Well, we're starting a, a new 10-part series on the book of Philippians, which uh, is exciting. I think is really exciting. Philippians is just one of those wonderful, wonderful books. And I, I think we're going to have a great journey in the next, in the next 10 weeks. Um, and we've entitled it, When Normal Isn't Working. And I'm going to explain in a few minutes why, why we've taken that title, why we're going to take that kind of angle as we look at the book and as we look at the studies for the next 10 weeks. And, it's, and, and a lot of it's generated out of, of a, out of a personal challenge, uh, even, even for myself, in the way that um, we frame the world around us and the scriptures and how that interacts with the world around us, how it should interact with the world around us, what it means for Christians as we interact with the world around us. These are all very complicated, complicated issues. Uh, you remember a couple of months ago we did a, the We Fit series. And at the very beginning of the We Fit series, we made... We, we made this proclamation kind of thing that there are two great influences in our lives, two great influencers in our lives. Number one is the culture. OK. And we said that the forces of the culture around us are, are constantly trying to mold us, trying to push us, trying to, to form us into what the culture says we should be. Right. If you don't drive this, you don't live here, if you don't go there, if you don't graduate from there, all that kind of stuff. We've got all these levels of things that culture does to us. And the second thing I said is is the people around us. Right. You know, we we have so many people who are who are talking to us and saying things to us and and and, you know, some some positive, some negative for each and every one of us. We know we know. That, that we can we can name somebody in our lives that has said something to us that has affected us for years. Be it in a good way, be it in a bad way. OK, and those are those are the realities around us. Now, something happens. And uh, if you're like me, that you became a Christian later in in your in, in life. It was my mid 20s when I became a Christian. Something happened. The, the force of culture and the voices of the people around us. Um, suddenly, I had this third thing going on. God's word, the Bible and, and what God demanded from my life. And suddenly, if you've, if you've ever been in that situation, you know that this is great, 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 great tension that happens in your life. Because what, what, what Jesus says is, is normal, what Jesus says is proper, what God says is, is, is the way to live life. Suddenly you start coming up against what the culture says, what other people say, and, it's, and, and there's a huge tension there, isn't there? Uh, Jeff's not in here, our youth guy's not in here, right? You can ask Jeff each and every week when he's dealing with the youth if that tension is real, Right? OK, because that's 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 where the youth are all the time. You know, as a pastor, whenever I get asked questions, is it OK to do this? What does the Bible say about this? What if I this almost almost invariably rarely is it a theological question or if it is a theological question, it's a theological question wrapped up in culture. Right. OK. So that is really, really important, really important. You know, I see this all the time. And and that and that tension is really 
evident. And I think I've been challenged personally just how much that tension is real in everybody's life, everybody's life. And, and to be honest, one of the one of the one of the great tensions as a believer is how do you become salt and light to the world around us without actually being part of the culture itself, right? Isn't that the great tension? Is how do you get close? How do you make an impact? How do you change the world around you without becoming part of the world? How do you do that? How do you become that salt? How do you become that light? And I think that a lot of it, it we're going we're gonna to try and unpack, okay, for the next... Ten weeks. Are, are you are you with me so far with that? Okay. Um, now, one of the books that's really challenged me in, in, a, in a kind of a fun way is Craig Rochelle's Weird. Okay. Um, I, I've, I've kind of taken the title of the sermon series from the subtitle of his book because you know when when normal isn't working, and I, I just want to read you kind of the info packet on the book itself to give you an idea of where we're going. He, he writes this: Normal people are stressed. Overwhelmed and exhausted. Many of their relationships are at best strained and in most cases just surviving. Even though we live in one of the most prosperous places on earth, normal is still living paycheck to paycheck and never getting ahead. In our oversexed world, lust, premarital sex, guilt and shame are far more common than purity, virginity, And a healthy married sex life. And when it comes to God, the majority believe in him, but the teachings of scripture rarely make it into their everyday lives. Simply put, normal isn't working. All right. That's kind of the pretense that we are done we are working through on this. Now, it reminds me of a, of a passage that the, the minute I read that, it reminded me of a passage from the Apostle Paul. And most of us are very familiar. I want to put that passage up. Uh, Romans 12, 2. Right. And what does it say? What, is, what does it say? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Now, we are so used to that passage. Any of us have been a believer for any period of time. But just imagine to yourself, here's the Apostle Paul. Here's a person. And this is basically the thematic verse over the whole book of Philippians, by the way. Here's the Apostle Paul some 2000 years ago who was walking down the street, who was part of the world that he was living in, who was looking around at culture, who was looking at Rome and and the, the power of Rome and the religious systems and all of that kind of stuff that's happening that day. And Paul's looking around when he becomes a believer and he says, wait a minute. There's patterns here. There's patterns here we shouldn't follow. There's patterns here that, that, that are not healthy, that are not good, that are not beneficial. Don't, don't follow those patterns, but be transformed by the way you think. By the way you think. So that's kind of the theme verse. And what's really, really neat about this is the Apostle Paul is the same person who wrote the book of Philippians. And throughout the whole book of Philippians... He expounds that very principle, how not to follow the patterns of this world, right? And to be, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, just a little note. If you're following along for the 10 weeks, I want to encourage you to do something as a reading plan. 
I want you sometime this week, if you have time, to read the whole book of Philippians. And through the ten weeks, okay, so you've read through it once. It's a short book. It's not very long. Read through it once. Then uh, the weeks that we go by, we're going to have a reading plan right in the, uh, the life group material. Uh, if you get a chance to read week by week, so you're caught up. At the very end of the series, I would love for you to read the whole book again and see if you can read it with different eyes, a different, a different perspective. Okay, so that is really, um, really important. Now, now let me back up for a few minutes. Philippi. Okay, I think we got a map up here. Um, the next, the next frame. That's where Philippi is, up in northern Greece. All right, that's where the city was. Now, Philippi was named after Philip of Macedon, of Macedonia. Do you know who Philip was? Anybody know? Father of Alexander the Great. Okay, so it's got an interesting namesake, right? Who has in, in uh, who's who's ever heard of Cassius and Brutus? Oh yeah, the the main conspirators who assassinated Julius Caesar, right? Well, in 42 B.C. on the plains just outside of Philippi was the battle with Cassius and uh, and Brutus against Octavian, who became Caesar Augustus, and uh, Mark Antony. And this, the plain outside of Philippi, where, where they captured those two, they both committed suicide, and that was the end of the conspiracies against Julius Caesar. All right? So it's got a neat kind of history. Now, the other thing is, if you want to learn about the history of the church of Philippi, read Acts 16. Acts 16, I think it's 6 to 40, that whole, uh, I think in your life groups, I'm going to have you read that passage because it's a really neat story. You know, Paul and Silas were, were wanting to go someplace. The spirit stopped them and said, no, uh, don't, you know, close the doors in that, those areas. And, and, the, and the apostle Paul had a dream one night of a person from Macedonia saying, come to us. And Paul said that was a sign from God. They went there and just some really neat things happened. So if you get a chance to read Acts 16, the background to the church of Philippi, that's a great, great, great thing. Now, before we even get into the first passage I want to look at, I want to make one other statement, one other statement. And here's here. Here it is. If you read anything on Philippians, scholars, uh, commentators, all, all kinds of of books, whatever, on the study of, Phil, of, of Philippians, what you will hear is the word joy repeated constantly. That is the major theme in the book of Philippians, is joy. Joy is the central feature of this book. And, and to remind you, Paul is writing this book from prison. He is languishing in a Roman prison. We're not sure where he's languishing. We don't, we're not sure where he is. Would be at Ephesus, Rome. There's a, there's, a, there's a few options. But the book's central theme is joy. Okay? Now, we're fine with that. We accept that. But we're not just going to stop there. Okay? In the next ten weeks, uh, you know, it's, it's very easy for me to say, just be joyful. God's in your life. You know, live with it. Right? Okay, but the reality is Philippians is a beautiful exposition of don't follow the patterns of this world. Transform your mind and the joy that you live with because of that. Okay, 
We're going we're gonna to unearth as much as we can what that joy is rooted in, why that joy is important, how you can have that joy in the same measure that someone like the Apostle Paul had. Okay? We're going to try and unravel that as best as we can. Here's an example. Um, what's an example? Just to kind of wet your whistle for contentment. All right? How much, how much does this culture promote contentment? Not much. It's not a word you hear very often, right? Now, why do they not promote, why is it not a characteristic that would be promoted in this culture? Absolutely. You make a lousy consumer if you're content, right? A content person is a lousy consumer. We can't even measure Christmas as being good or bad unless we measure it against retail sales. Right? Okay? So there's kind of an example of what we're talking. And we know contentment is far more than just the financial component. Okay? We're totally aware of that. But it's a big, big part of what we're talking about. So let's, uh, let's dive into the first passage that we're looking at. Philippians 1, 1 to 11. Are you excited? Come on, let's be excited. This is, amen, absolutely. Philippians 1, 1. This letter is from Paul and Timothy. Paul is, uh, Timothy is with Paul. He's a, he's a mentor of Paul's and, and Paul's including him in this letter. Slaves of Jesus Christ. Remember we have said numerous times, you are a slave to something. As much as you think you're free, you are a slave to something. The Apostle Paul accepted that reality and he said, you're either a slave to your sinful desires or you're a slave to Christ. And he totally accepts this, this premise here. I am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and deacons. Does anybody say anything funny with that? <laughs> I never, I'm, I've always been unsure about the way the NLT brings that across because it sounds like the elders and deacons aren't holy, just the people are. I'm going to include the elders and deacons. Anyway, okay. <laughs> it's, I, just, I just think that's a funny way that they've done it. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more, and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding, for I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise 
to God. Amen. Amen. That's a great that's a great path. And remember, he is in prison, languishing in some Roman uh, dungeon. And this is what he's writing to the people at Philippi that he wants to communicate. Now, the thing is, um, we can do a lot of stuff with this verse, but I'm just going to center on one verse and one verse alone. And that's verse number six. And I'm going to put two versions of that verse up here next, if that's OK for the next slide. Thanks, James. Um, two different versions, and I want to center on, on verse 6. Now, I have to admit, I, you know, I tried to avoid this verse as much as I could when we first looked at this passage. Because this verse is very well known, this verse is very popular, and I have to admit, it's my life verse. Okay, it, it is personally my life verse. I adopted this verse when I first became a Christian. It's, it spoke volumes to me. Um, and it's a very, very, very important verse in my life because when I became a Christian out of the life that I was previously living, this thing just sang to me in ways that that, um, you know, which just became very, very important. In fact, I have a, I have a very bad habit. I often if I'm signing something, I very naturally go Philippians one six Philippians. You know, like that. I've, I've been at the bank endorsing checks to go Philippians one six. You know, it's like, oh, the kind of teller goes. Oh, it's a Bible verse. Don't worry. You know, can you initial that, please? Oh, anyway. (laughs) You know, you know, so so I I, I almost have to think not to put that in. That's that's how much it's 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 a part. But it's one of those it's one of those eschatological verses. I'm going to I'm going to use that word because Paul's acknowledging is acknowledging something very, very significant that when God starts, God will finish. That what God starts, God will finish. See, there's lots of times in our lives where we come to a point that we say, is God listening? Is God still involved? Is God still engaged? It's amazing how we'll get in the car and we'll take a four-hour trip somewhere. How many of us, two hours into the trip, get a flat tire and, and, and go, oh, okay, we've got to start from the beginning again? None of us would say, oh, we've got to take the car back right where we started, get the tire repaired and do this trip again. That would be crazy, right? But, you know, for the reality is in our spiritual lives, that's exactly what we do. Whenever we hit a bump, whenever we hit a kind of flat tire, whenever we hit at that moment where we think God's not engaged anymore, we feel like we've got to start all over again. And for many of us, we don't realize that there's an incredible lesson that's being learned right in that moment. That God's not going to take us back to square one. That God's continuing that journey with us. And he's faithful to do so to the day that Jesus Returns. Isn't that an amazing promise that no matter what's happening in my life, that God is going to be engaged in my life in a very important and a very significant way until Jesus returns? That the involvement is very, very real. And I love the beginning of it. I am sure, I am confident. I am certain 
Now, I don't know about you, but that's not terminology that we like to accept nowadays, this terminology of certainty. But Paul is absolutely certain about what he's talking about. Was it Benjamin Franklin who said the only thing you can be certain about is death and taxes? Okay? I don't know about you. If that's the only thing you're living your life being certain of, it's a pretty hopeless existence, isn't it? Right? If all you're living for and saying that the only thing we're certain about is death and taxes, imagine what a roll of the dice you're living with. But Paul doesn't advocate that at all. He is certain about the goodness of God. All right? Which is really important. That God began in you a good work. But often we think that the invasion of God into our lives is something that, you know, I, I no longer I no longer can do the things I can do anymore. And it was comfortable and it was nice and it was easy. And, and, and the things that the culture says I'm comfortable with, the things, the voices of the people that are affirming that that's happened. Suddenly I find that I have to do something very, very different. And what I thought was normal isn't normal anymore. I was absolutely shocked when I became a Christian that I, you know, I, I don't know if this is a minor thing. This is a huge thing for me. But I just started to think different. Like, that's why Romans 12, 2 resonates with me so much. I just started to think different. You mean, you mean that's not what you do in college? You know, when I was... Maybe I shouldn't tell you this, but when I was in college, when I was in college, there was actually a club that you could join called the Nose Club. You know what the Nose Club stood for? No obligation sexual encounter. Shock. Has anything changed? Well, that was that was the club you could join and you'd be walking down the halls going part of the nose club, part of the nose club, part of the nose club. Right. Amazing. It's the world that we live in, right? The world that we live in. But Paul believed in a different certainty, a different model a different thing for normalcy, a different kind of framework that we could live by. Right. And by the way, this certainty is not meant to be arrogant. OK, this is something that we hold with humility. Right. This is an arrogance, not in ourselves, but but uh, but but a certainty in the character and the person of God. Right. That's where Paul's. And he talks about it in other passages. That's where Paul's confidence and boasting comes from in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's why he can say these things. Right. That he can be persuaded, persuaded, governed. And here here is the thing. What what Paul believed with certainty, what Paul believed with certainty 
governed the way he lived presently. What Paul believed with certainty governed the way he lived presently. And that makes a very big difference. And that's, and that's the point I want to make. I think, I think we've got that up on the screen next. Whatever you believe with certainty will govern how you live presently. There are so many of us that live in a doubtful expectation of what God's goodness is in our lives. That we can't live in the difficulties of the present, of the present because we have difficulty reconciling God's goodness in our lives. How many of us watch a movie, right? And, and, and something happens and this particular character is, is, is treated as guilty because he's done something in this movie, right? But, but all these people want to accuse this person and see that he's guilty. But somebody stands up and says, oh, wait a minute. That seems so out of character of that person. I can't believe that person did this. I've known this person for years. It's so out of character for this person. Do you know, I rarely hear anybody say, I can't believe God did that. That was out of character for him. Rarely do you hear that. When something happens in our lives, many things we we do is we doubt God's goodness. Paul is languishing in a prison and not for a second Does he start allowing doubt to come into his life? He says, I am confident. I am certain that the good thing that God's begun in me, he will carry it to completion. I'm not asking you to have certainty in everything in life, but I am asking that you have certainty when it comes to the person and the character of God, that God is, that God is good. So the more certain we become in our belief, the more it will govern the way we live in the present. As I said before, if you believe that it's just death and taxes, that's the only thing we can be certain of, imagine the kind of existence. Imagine the hopefulness or the hopelessness of living under only those two realities, those two certainties. Okay? Now I now I think I think I also think this verse is one of those one side of the equations. That God who began the good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I think one of the factors that we have to put into this verse is if we let God allow us. I think there's many times in our lives that we become God's greatest impediment in the spirit of God working in our lives. All right. And I think we all acknowledge that. I think there's times that God has to do a radical wash over of everything that happens in our character, that God's got to do a renewing in us that's really dramatic. And often God has to bring you to a place of extreme difficulty in order to purge that thing from you. That's the reality. That is the goodness of God. To do something in you that he is faithful to do to completion. Which, um, 
which, which leads to the next point. I, I love this verse for another thing as well. And that's, and that's the characteristic of God that it highlights and centers on. I like asking people, what is it, what is it about the character of God that you love? What is it about God? If, you, if there's one thing I was going to ask you, what do you love about God? What would it be? And, and you get all kinds of different answers, right? You get God's power, his mercy, in terms of grace, his love, all of those kinds of things. But, but for me, and, and kind of encompasses a lot of this, and what comes out of this verse is the faithfulness of God. Now, I don't know about you, but the faithfulness of God is something that no matter what happens in my life, your life, our lives together, God is faithful to do something with that that only he is going to be able to accomplish. All right. Now, I thought, how do I, you know, how do I, how do you illustrate God's faithfulness? Right. How, how can you make it? resonate with you in a certain way. And, you know, when I was thinking about it, I thought of the life of Jesus. Okay? Now, when I say to people that Jesus' entire life was a life of temptation, you often get a strange look. Because when we think about the temptation of Jesus, we often think about the very beginning of the Gospels and Jesus was led out to the desert and and tempted by the devil there and all that stuff. But if I, I need to tell you, All of Jesus' life was a temptation from the time he was born to the day he was crucified. Jesus came with with a single, solitary mission that from the time he was born is to go to this cross and to become the sacrifice for the world. Now, in all through his life, in all through the Gospels, if you read them carefully, everybody tried to divert him from that. The disciples, the people, the Pharisees, the religious, like, like, it doesn't matter what group you're looking at. They all tried to divert him from going to the cross. There were lots of opportunities for Jesus. Do do you believe that Jesus had a few skills? Do you believe that Jesus would have been taken care of no matter what? Jesus could have done anything humanly possible he wanted to accomplish, be it lead an army, start a revolution, start a country, be the wealthiest man around. Imagine if he started charging for what he did. Seriously, the temptations for Jesus to be diverted from the cross were incredible. And yet the faithfulness of Jesus to take the mission and the central core reason for him coming and to see it fulfilled in the cross is nothing less than staggering. Because he was tempted in every way possible to make a turn different than the road that led to a cross. That's the faithfulness of God that we are talking about. It is that same faithfulness that God demonstrates in your life if you let him. But we are always so unsure of that. 
Because we don't always see the picture the way God sees it. But God is faithful to his promises. God is faithful to his purposes. God is faithful to his plan. God is faithful to his people. God is faithful to you. And whatever good thing he has started in you, if you allow him, he'll bring that to completion. Now, there's many of you here this morning who are struggling with that whole, that whole business. That whole business. That you're doubting the goodness of God, you're doubting the faithfulness of God. And you're allowing what, what culture and, and people around you and, and this whole wave of, of how to live become normal in your life. There are those of you this morning that are living under heavy debt. You've bought, you've bought into, you've bought into the premise that, you know, you've got to have it all, you've got to, you've got to do it all, you can, you can do it 20, 30 years down the road, you know, and you're sacrificing your future, you're sacrificing all this other stuff, and you're realizing that in your own life, normal isn't working. There's some of you here who, who have been hurt relationally. Because you thought this is the way we, we relate to one another. This is what, what, what a relationship looks like early on. And this is, this is what we get involved in and all this stuff. And, and you've been scarred and you've been hurt. And, 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 and you look around and you say, this is the expectation of everybody around us. And you're realizing that this is a very hurtful place to be. And what considered normal isn't working. You're looking at the way some... Even with your own children. And you're trying to do your very best in raising them. And you're being pushed in ways that you can't imagine. And everybody else is saying, no, this is the way you've done all, all this kind of stuff. And you're realizing years down the road or somewhere down the road that it just didn't materialize like they said it would. And you're, and you're figuring out that normal doesn't work. You're, you're, you're packing your life with, with, with time requirements and time demands and, and, and you're supposed to be run, 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 run and don't you ever stop and don't you ever take a moment to reflect and, and meditate and, and be private and all this kind of stuff and, and you've, you've bought into the rat race and, and time down the road you realize that whatever it is that you thought was so important and was so, you know, get away from your family and the things that you do and, and that kind of normal isn't working anymore. And that's the great tension that we live in. And every one of us, every, every one of us, are living with a false sense of normal somewhere that God wants to work in your life. Because if you're really honest with yourself, if you look at your relationships, if you look at your work, if you look at your schooling, if you look at at all, all kinds of the way you spend your time, whatever is considered normal in your life is probably not working to your benefit. And God wants nothing more to transform the way you think so you start on a whole different path of being and doing so that the normal around us doesn't at some point catch up to us and hurt us. Because what you believe with certainty will govern how you live presently. 
As you read Philippians this week, for those of you that are, are willing to do it, I want, I, want to, I want you to prayerfully take those moments in your life this week and ask God, what have you accepted as normal in your life that I know is not normal in God's word? And what can I do to actively, actively find a way to honor God in my life? If you're not a Christian here this morning, if you're still wrestling with this whole Christian thing, and you probably know what we've been talking about, this whole, this whole culture thing that tells us this is the way we are to be, this is the way we are to do, and, and, yet, and yet you live, you live in this kind of shattered world where, where nothing ever seems to be working out right. And you wonder what, what's, what's happening. Let me tell you, Jesus has it all figured out. Right? You open up your heart and your life to him. So let me pray for those of you. And again, the challenge this week is what is normal? What is considered normal in your life that you've bought into from a cultural standpoint, from a, from a people standpoint, that you probably need to challenge yourself and how God would expect you to live that out?